6: Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
3: From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know.
2: Hello. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel.
3: They call me Ben. We are joined with our returning guest super producer, Casey Pagra. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. Today, we are diving into something that uh, many of you and your fellow conspiracy realists have asked us to do for a number of years. We're touching on the concepts of conspiracy and music. That's the, correct. The music industry is cutthroat. It's brutal. It's often described as a zero-sum game. Yeah. But wait, Matt, Noel, Ben, you might be saying, none of you are uh, kings of a music empire. Impresarios, no. if
2: you will. Yeah. No, We're not even really that cultured. <laughs>
3: right. So as we know on this show, the best way to get closest to the truth is to go to a primary source. And luckily, with A3C happening this weekend, we were able to get one of the primary sources for the music industry as a whole.
2: Yeah, somebody who has been at the top of his game for a long, long time within this industry.
3: Mm -hmm. And I guess the best way to introduce the person we're interviewing today uh, would be through just a, a little bit of background. Noel would You do the honors.
4: Yeah. So today we interview a guy um, who I was not intensely familiar with by name alone. His name is James Prince or J. Prince. But when you start digging into his legacy and his uh, his past as a music. Mogul and trendsetter, and just all around forward thinking guy, you realize that he laid some of the groundwork for uh, many of the hip hop record labels that we know today, especially from the 90s and early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Things like Cash Money Records, No Limit Records, these kind of singular forces of owned and operated independent hip hop record labels that then were able to connect up with majors or at least major distribution companies in a way that they were still able to set the tone. And- the rules, but they used the parts that they needed Mm -hmm. from the bigger players without totally kowtowing to their every whim and desire, like we know uh, can be such a problem with big record labels. And we talk a lot about that with Mr. Prince, but he founded um, a label called Rap-A-Lot Records in, I think, 1985. And then the first album was dropped in '87. That's right. And um he did this when he was at the time working at a used car lot that he owned and operated, and he did it to get his brother, who was a rapper who went by the name Rap-A-Lot, to get him to keep him from becoming a victim of the situation that they lived in in Houston, Texas, in a neighborhood called the Fifth Ward. Yes, mm-hmm. and he talks a lot about that. And so he um, kind of assembled a group called the Ghetto Boys. The most famous of their tracks that I'm aware of, I am aware of—I showing my age and my squareness—but is, is "Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangster," which a is prominently huge song huge yeah. song, but also prominently featured in an amazing scene in the movie Office Space. He <laughs> yeah. also
3: uh, he also also managed devin the dude yeah if you're if you're a fan of that he uh <laughs> a great song called uh and then i got high actually devin the dude has a bunch of tracks. I'm, I'm gonna go <laughs> listen to him after this interview but i think that's an excellent way to show the context because one of the most important things is he did
4: this by himself yeah Right, He did this by himself. He was always kind of hustling and uh, investing and looking for ways to make a buck. And in doing that and in all of these various endeavors throughout his life, not to mention the fact that he was a very successful and continues to be boxing manager. Yeah. Managed uh, a a little guy by the name of Floyd Mayweather. Uh, I don't know who that is. Yeah. So this guy's been around. And in that, in those journeys that he's been through in his life, he's seen some stuff, specifically some stuff they they – the record industry, the music industry, the government. The government. The
2: boxing industry. All of yeah. these people do not want you to know.
3: So let's you know, don't take our word for it. Let's hear from him. Let's jump right in. Our guest today is James Prince. He's the founder of Rapalot Records, a legend in the music business and beyond. His memoir, The Art and Science of Respect, is available now as you're listening to this. You can get the book today on Amazon, or you can head over to Apple Music and listen to James Prince read the entire work in audiobook format. Thank you for coming on the show, sir.
5: Oh uh, yeah. It's a privilege and honor to be here.
2: Uh what what do we call you?
3: James? Oh, you
5: can call me James J. Prince. (laughs) I'm going to go with Prince. Is that okay? Yeah, I I like it. This studio
2: (laughs) where we're recording this is called Prince. This is the Prince studio.
5: Yeah. Wow, beautiful.
2: Well, here I am, living and living color. Indeed, for sure. Yes, sir. Uh, I want to go ahead. We've been listening. We were talking about on Apple Music, you can listen to excerpts from each of the chapters in your book. And I I want you to just start out by talking to us about creating goals, in your life and everybody's life, making plans and then overcoming challenges as you're making your way.
5: Yeah, no, it's, it's real important, you know, to uh, create a goal. And then, you know, I have a formula that's called what, when, where, and how that uh, gives me clarity on accomplishing that very goal that I'm trying to attain. And, you know, that's important, you know, it's important to have structure and discipline in your life to be able to uh, accomplish these goals. So, You know, I I don't know what my life would be without it. Absolutely, and you also discuss
2: leaders, followers, and loners. And uh, can you just tell everybody kind of where you found yourself and how you've evolved?
5: Yeah, I mean, I'm from Fifth Ward. I'm from uh, Fifth Ward is a is a place in Houston, Texas, and uh, I always found myself in a position where you know, even walking to school. You know, I had to uh, make up my mind if I was going to be a leader, a follower, or a loner because I witnessed these type of uh, individuals in the hood that I'm from. And and I chose to be a leader in spite of uh, all the pressures and, you know, the temptation and different things I was surrounded with that tried to uh, force me to follow them. You know what I mean? It's like organizations, believe it or not, that exist in the hood that – try to pressure you to follow them. And in spite of uh, all of those obstacles, I chose to be a leader because you know I understand that in order to be a great leader, you have to be a good follower as well. But that's following things of the light, not the dark.
4: So you talk a lot about how when you grew up, you were constantly felt like you were being circled by sharks that were trying to get at you and take away what you had. And so much about the rap game is about turf and about owning certain blocks or, you know, all of the things that kind of trickle down from the things you hear about anything growing up in an area like this. You started an independent label, you know, with uh, Rap-A-Lot Records that sort of set the tone for a lot of the labels we know, like No Limit Records, Cash Money, these indie labels that had bigger distribution deals but put out tons of content all the time. You sort of set the model for that. Um, But this is not something that the record industry, as we know it today, or certainly as we knew it back then, is really a fan of how did how were you able to kind of like push back against the model of the standard record deal, the record industry and forge your own way in a way that people picked up and kind of carried on and still do to this day.
5: Well, you know, the models, the the majors, the powers that be didn't embrace me. I wasn't welcome to the table in the beginning. So I had no choice but to do it my way and and I'm glad I had the opportunity to do it my way because you know, I learned how to do it my way in the hood. And, and I learned the importance, you know, my hustle always been, you know, to, you know, put product out there. You know what I mean? To make money. If other words, I never liked the, the major system dropping one album a year or two albums every two or three years. It never made sense to me. You know, I, I felt like a lot of money was being left on the table. So my objective was, you know, I had a lot of artists. I wanted them all to eat. So I'm like, we have an opportunity that may not be here long, so let's milk it while we have it. And that was my whole motto behind putting a bunch of product out.
3: And with that insight into the music industry, we we have a lot of fans of you and your artists listening to the show today. And there there are a ton of things that they are probably not aware of when they listen to a song when they purchase an album it's often said that there are forces in the music industry operating behind the scenes and most fans and most listeners are not aware of those and this gets into territory that some people might call conspiratorial you know it's no mm-hmm. secret that prominent people of color who are at the top level in various industries, mm-hmm. including entertainment, but almost any industry, have been persecuted by the same government mm-hmm. that says it is here to protect people. Yeah. Over your over your time and in your experience building this empire, have you seen this actually happen to people, to entertainers, to musicians, to
5: to you? Yeah, no, I was about to say that I was a victim of that myself. You know, and I witnessed. Um, uh, in my hood, I witnessed a lot of my friends, associates be victims, but I thought they were victims because of, you know, being in the ghetto or being in the hood. You know, I found myself being a victim of the very same thing. And then I realized that this was bigger than just being in the hood. Uh, you know, I was attacked by uh every alphabet letter you can think of, you (laughs) know, for for a long time. You know what I mean? And and, uh, mainly, you know, I I feel it was because of my success, uh, our uh, content of the songs that we wrote and put out. You know, back when I started rap a lot, you know, this was at a time where, you know, rap wasn't as popular. So our swagger, our movement, you know, with crowds and everything was, was a threat and mm-hmm. people was uh, discriminating against it. You know, we got kicked out of uh, office buildings over and over again because of how the artists dress. You know, they felt like they didn't have suits on and, you know, it was different and it was new. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not everybody looking out of the eyes of what's taking place today. But imagine, you know, in the beginning, all of this new styles taking place, these new movements you know, you know, black guys and nice vehicles, it caused a lot of problems. And I became, like, enemy number one, you know, and to the extent where, you know, I feel like they were trying to kill me because uh, the DEA had a, a guy that I call, consider a hitman because he had killed eight people. You know, they put him on me and his sidekick, Chad Scott, the other DEA agent. Mm-hmm. You know, he was rogue cops that... uh You know, actually, Chad Scott just got indicted a few months ago. Uh, You know, 10 indictment charges are the very things that I put the spotlight on, you know, over a decade ago. They're just catching up with him with a lot of these different things. So it was real. And
3: that's Chad Scott and Detective Schumacher, right? Johnny Schumacher? Jack Schumacher. Yeah. Now, uh, from what we understand, Chad Scott had a... Record of various like punishments from the DEA for his behavior beforehand. Is that correct?
5: Yeah, that's true. At, when I went and had a a meeting in Washington D.C. with a lot of these guys, you know, I told him this guy had stole Rap-A-Lot pieces, threatened my life. You know what I mean? He had done all of these things, and before I can make it home, good, they found the Rap-A-Lot pieces in his locker or in his desk or they pieces reprimand. like like chains. And yeah, the stuff. chains. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they reprimanded him and I think put Schumacher on a desk job, but was Mm -hmm. that enough?
1: L-A-S-I-K, LASIK LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start.
0: L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
7: A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the tonne. fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.
6: We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts.
2: It's like the police knew who he was before they got here.
4: I read in this uh, article from the Advocate out of New Orleans that Chad Scott was the guy who was the basis for Denzel Washington's character in Training Day, um, where he, you know, would like basically kind of run his own mini gang operation from the position of power of being a police officer or a, a law enforcement official, I guess, a DEA agent. And that gives you a lot of access, right? And yeah. I think one of your artists did a diss track about him. Yeah. and He was a f- fond of playing it at right. full blast when I he would make big that. drug arrests or whatever. Can you talk about that a little bit?
5: Yeah, no, this guy, you know, he was a clown when he was in Houston. Mm-hmm. And he became what I consider a bigger clown in Louisiana. You know, he was... But he learned all of that from somewhere. And he, you know, he, the head guy in charge at the time was Jack Schumacher, mm-hmm. uh, an officer that used his weapon over eight times, eight times a better, which is totally abnormal for any officer. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you if you do research, it's hard to find an officer that used his weapon so many times. So my investigators had an opportunity, a lot of people don't know this, to interview his lieutenant he was under that had retired. And the lieutenant, you know, quoted, I never trust this guy. Hmm. You know, his stories would change all the time around these killings. Oh, wow. You know, and when they pulled me over in the dark that night, you know, I felt like it was a hit because they, thats the first time i ever been pulled over one time to be pulled over, to be told to pull over again. And the direction they gave me to go was dark. You know, why you want to pull me over in the dark where two vehicles was already there, which was Chad Scott, and I don't know who was in the green Jeep. But I chose to pull over to the service station where it was light. And it was a bogus, you know, they say I was swerving as if I was drunk or something. You know, they do that a lot in the hood to justify why they pull us over. I wasn't swerving. You know, they wanted me to pull in that dark. To do something because they know I'm a licensed gun holder. And that's the first thing officer ask me, where are your guns? So in a lot of the killings that che- uh, Jack Schumacher done, it was always a weapon there And questionable well, we're seeing so much yeah. of that
4: now i mean in a yeah. big way where yeah. it's always an excuse to take lethal action when someone maybe has a gun or is or is trying to reach for a gun that they're just trying to show you they have
2: or has a cell phone
4: that or as a cell like phone a gun. i mean it's just always kind of the first go-to thing for an excuse to do that and eight sure does seem like an awful lot there's, to me <laughs> there's another question
3: there too is is that a uh, frequency of dirty shootings accelerating or are people just hearing more about the ones that had been occurring you know are there more skeletons in the closet well, now there's so much more yeah. accountability right? Yeah, right with the
4: internet being what it is exactly. and all of that yeah. um so absolutely i yeah. think that's good yeah. and obviously we are not anti police law enforcement no, we show not. at all yeah. none of us are but it's just you can't deny that there's certain patterns that are yeah. that are interesting and and very I troubling would,
3: i would say we're anti corruption for sure which uh, unfortunately corruption is historically a problem we found a quote from an earlier interview that you did where you talked about a conspiracy taking place to kill off and destroy all future black entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and in in this interview you say this is um the, they wanted to prevent people from doing the same thing that you and rap a lot and cash money and various other peers in the space had also done and then you say. And I was right. Have you have you seen examples of this? And do you feel like it's accelerating? Do you feel like it's lessening? Do you feel like it's a it's a constant thing?
5: Yeah, yeah. I I witnessed this and I made that statement years ago before everything has taken place the way it have right now. You know, I saw it coming because I saw, you know, artists in the same position that we were in and the offers. From the majors, you know they 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 took those type of offers off the table. you know we're no longer, and I spoke with key individuals that was in the companies with the majors, and they straight up said, "That's over, we're not giving those type of deals up anymore, so they regressed to the three sixty deals. You know what I mean? And when I was coming through—
4: 360 deals, meaning they, like, own everything about you? they eat. Like, you pay them back, or they give you an advance, and then you kind of work in, like, indentured servitude Mm -hmm. almost?
5: Yeah, that 360, they're going to eat everywhere you eating. which they criticize. When I came through, they criticized me for managing or being able to get a percentage of management from an artist that I put out. You know, they created this. After I took an artist that nobody wanted anything to do with, We created a buzz and had success. The majors were some of the key individuals you can't manage and promote artists at the same time and turn around and done a 360 deal. The same deal I was, you know, not to the uh, extent of the way they're even doing it, but the management side of it, I couldn't, you know, they, oh, that was like a sin. So, you know, I witnessed them, you know, change their mind, don't want to see another J. Prince, Master P, uh, cash money, Tony Draper, with that uh, distribution deal, with marketing including. The whole infrastructure of the deals have changed, and I saw it before it got here.
4: I, mean, I guess it's true. The closest thing I can see to that is like a Jay Z, for example. I mean, like that's the mo- the highest profile dude that's running every aspect of his business and promoting other artists, and you know has his label and is also an artist himself. But I don't see a lot of examples yeah. of like the old way, like you know Puff Daddy and, yeah. and guys like yourself and Master yeah. P. You just it doesn't seem like there's as much opportunity for that to happen anymore. Right. But is that maybe kind of not the worst thing in the world? Because you have all these artists being empowered by the internet and being able to push themselves out. And it's sort of this like democracy of like people's attention. If you're really good, you can succeed on your own without a label.
5: Well, you definitely could, uh, can succeed on your own. But, you know, by no means is that <clears throat> something that they wouldn't want. You know, everybody would want access to that kind of power. And, you know, speaking of Jay Z, they kind of under the old law, as I would say, in my era. So that deal was earned like way back then. But they're trying to prevent that from this day forward. And when we say they, I think
3: something that would surprise a lot of fans of any type of music is that at the top, from what I understand with the majors, there's a relatively small group of people that are making these uh, calls to greenlight something or to end End someone's success? Yeah. Just is that an active thing that they do? Is is there really some sort of like maybe a, a room, almost like this one, where where I mean a much yeah. nicer room? Yeah. than this one. Where, there are more
2: cigars in that right. Where yeah. people
3: get together <laughs> and they say we're gonna shut we're gonna shut these people down.
5: Yeah, I, I think I told this story in my book. I wrote about a story where you know I call myself going to create a situation where the majors was going to be a noir. And I went to, I think, Capitol Records, and I'm interviewing with a guy, you know, to tell him what I wanted. And I left Capitol and went over to Giant to speak with Irvin Azoff. And I'm trying to use this offer that I got against Irvin Azoff to only, you know, witness that Irvin Azoff knew everything that was offered to me over there at Capitol. So you're like floating this out there to kind of do a little litmus
4: test to see what they know. Yeah,
5: which kind of blew my mind. So at that point, I understood right then, okay, these guys are working together. You know, there's a network, a system in place where they're sharing information. And I witnessed this on so many different levels. But, you know, it's... uh, is interesting and it's a surprise to those that that don't know and you know they can shut you down I give you another example about David Geffen you know because you know the ghetto boys we wanted to release a record with the same lyrical content as he was releasing you know with other artists uh, with Rick Rubin mm. and he chose not to release our record and basically gave Rick Rubin the freedom to, you know, go and do another deal elsewhere. And it, you know, lyrical content was the, the same as the other rock and roll artists.
4: Well, Geffen was actually uh, asked about that in an NPR piece, and he specifically cited some lyrics about violence towards women that he had a problem with that were kind of uh, a little on the gory side, and he said that was his position on it. But I understand, like, with death metal and heavy metal and stuff, there's there's lyrics that are interpreted all kinds of ways, too. But what, what do you what do you say to that, that it was specifically about violence towards women?
5: Yeah, I think he full of it. And uh, you know, but it was his company to do what he wanted to do, but you know it's it's almost as as if you're against a movie where violence takes place against women, you know it's all at the end of the day it's all a joke, <laughs> you know what I mean it's not when i what I mean by joke, nobody in that particular song if you listen to the song that he's referring to, it was like a a a a vampire movie type of song or something you know Mm.
1: L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz in just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start.
0: L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
7: A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.
6: We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials
2: cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it.
6: From iHeart Podcasts,
2: Can I can I jump to something real fast? You were a boxing promoter for a time, were right? Not currently. No boxing manager. Manager, manager. Yeah. So oh, that was very I'm different. I'm still a promoter. boxing manager. You're still a boxing manager. Yeah. So, are you excited about any of this stuff coming up on Saturday? Like some of the big the big UFC fight stuff? Or oh, that's into the that? UFC.
5: Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think that's gonna be a good fight. Uh, um, I don't know who's gonna win. Of but course. I, I like UFC as well as boxing.
2: They're both great. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Conor McGregor just had his, uh, he tried his hand at boxing. Right. It didn't go so great. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's. Well, he, it depends. That was the oh, oh, dude, payday. dude! It was his best. It was the best day of his life, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but, you know, in the same vein, in that world, there's a lot of stuff they don't want you to know, similar to the the music industry. Is there anything you can share with us about that, that whole world?
5: Well, just understand that boxing and the music game is two cutthroat businesses. And with that being said, you know, when you're dealing with cutthroat situations, you know, I give you an example, and I wrote about it in the book, uh, Me and Don King. Uh, Don King had this fighter by the name of James Page, who, you know, wasn't being treated fairly at all. You know, he had to deal with with Showtime where $2 a fight was coming his way because of, you know, James Page. And, you know, James Page was only getting a hundred and some thousand of that money. So, you know, I went to Don King. I'm like, hey, man, you know, this ain't right. We have to eat. You know, I'm representing this guy now. So, you know, show some respect and allow us to eat a little more. And King said to me, brother... If you want him to eat, then you need to go and figure out a way for him to eat. You know, this is what I'm. So I understood wow. that. And uh, I made some finesse moves, which caused me to uh, get sued by Don King for like $20 million. Oh. You know, because he mm. felt like I had took his fighter, in which I did, and created a better opportunity. I got him the biggest payday that he had hev- ever made. To make a long story short, you know, I I won that lawsuit, and uh, you know the headlines read "The Prince Dethrones the King," which you know caused my business to triumph to a different level. Hmm. Dang, that's a good headline. Yeah,
3: <laughs> and often in both of these businesses, which you just described as cutthroat, uh, often we see various artists, various, even boxers or fighters uh, referring, or maybe I should say deferring to you, to your opinion, to take. Do you see these, especially these younger people who want to follow in your footsteps, do you see them learning from you? Or I guess what I'm asking is, do you see them listening?
5: Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Uh, When I speak, they normally listen, uh, a lot of them, reach out to me all the time, which, you know, caused me to want to write the book, The Art and Science of Respect, because of the demand of questions that um, I, I be asked all the time. And, uh, yeah, they're uh listening and, you know, they're wiser, you know, because of the information they have access to. You know, a lot of them are weaker but wiser. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, I— uh, I actually like uh, some of the things that they are doing. You know, I think that they are more uh, content where ownership is concerned, more alert and on guard than than our generation. So, yeah, they, some of them listen.
2: Well, spe- <laughs> speaking of that, you're yeah.
5: here in
2: town in Atlanta for the, the A3C Conference and Festival. Yes. Uh, Festival and Conference, excuse me. And uh, you're going to be speaking about your book, and about a lot of these lessons that you've learned and, and right. what people are learning from you. Yeah, And uh, this episode comes out today's Friday. You can go right now to A3CFestival.com and check out uh, what's going on. There's still a few days left. You can go do some things uh, this weekend. So check that out for sure. And we got a couple quick rapid-fire questions for you just to, to, to close this thing out.
5: Um,
4: what's it like owning an island? How's that working out for you? Oh, <laughs>
5: man, that's a that's a beautiful feeling to – To be uh, in a place like that, surrounded by water. And I never saw a darkness that exists the way it exists around water in an island. Mm. Ooh, because there's no light pollution. Yeah, and the stars are beautiful. Do you you have a secret hideout on your island? (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) No, really? (laughs) Yeah. That's cool.
2: How much, like, what do we have to do to come hang out with you sometime?
5: Oh, man, you know, just, just ring me. You know <laughs> oh, I mean? yeah, stop. Yeah, just give me a call and we'll make it happen. All right, cool. I'm going <laughs> to take you up on that. Um, <laughs> what well, One more? What you got?
2: Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, um, There are a lot of rumors about you, man, obviously. Yeah. Do you have a pig farm
5: of some sort? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't have a pig farm, but I do have a ranch with a lot of Black Angus cattle Ooh, and horses on that's it.
2: That's awesome.
5: Yeah. So we no pigs. We've <laughs> dispelled <laughs>
2: that one. Yes,
3: yeah, no okay. pigs. James Prince, thank you so much for taking the time to to come by our studio and fill us in on a lot of things that the music industry maybe doesn't want artists and fans to
2: know. Right, yeah, absolutely. Hey, thank you all for having me. Dude, courtesy message was awesome. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> it was so Thanks. good. Yeah. All right. We're back here uh, with just the three of us in the studio. That was pretty intense, huh? That was intense on a
4: lot of levels. I mean, Mr. Prince rolled in with a, a sizable posse, and yeah. that was uh, f- amazing and, and slightly intimidating, but ultimately cool, because they were all super cool, kind, nice people, as was Mr. Prince himself. Very yeah. generous with his time. It was a bit of a crunch, and we, I felt like we covered most of the bases that we wanted to.
2: Absolutely. We didn't really talk about how Jay Prince is kind of a scary figure in a way at least according to a lot of rumors and a lot of the legends about him
3: i Uh, i had a i had a great time speaking with him me too reminds me of uh, some people that in my family that were older than me that i grew up with Mm -hmm. and obviously has been asked some of these questions before but I think it's important especially if you're listening to this and you want to pursue a career in the music industry. I think it's important to know a lot of this stuff because as as we had brought up before in in the earlier interview, the music industry is notorious for doing terrible things to people who are pursuing a career in music in one way or another and that stuff with don king yeah a hundred thousand dollars out of two million that blew my
2: mind dude i know well and i didn't want to get too deep into it but the same thing is happening with big big organizations like the ufc and their fighters where they're making just millions and millions mm-hmm. of dollars and the fighters get paid like 50 200k sometimes less mm-hmm. unless you're conor mcgregor Unless you're Conor McGregor.
4: And, you know, it might not surprise some people that there are rumors floating around about this guy, you know, having to maybe crack some, some heads in his day or yeah. have them cracked on his behalf. Because you don't get to the top as a one-man show yeah. by being a sweetheart to everyone.
2: Um, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The The most dangerous person. Let's go to a weird analogy here, talking about bread and making bread. Some of the old sayings here.
3: I am interested. Okay. Well, Well, no, the the idea. Paint the picture for us. The
2: idea is that uh, you can eat bread. That's great, right? You can, if you know how to make bread, you can feed yourself. Uh. And if you can make bread like in your house, that's great. You can feed a couple of your friends and your family. But if you build a bread factory. Do you mean like a bakery? A bread factory. (laughs) (laughs) Where you can literally start feeding everyone in your your area. Mm -hmm. That makes you a very dangerous person because the people that usually sell the bread, Mm -hmm. they can't sell it anymore because you're making it probably at a little cheaper price. And you're giving it, maybe you're giving some away. Just that whole idea of being controlled by an outside force. Versus owning the means of production. Yeah. Not to get too... Was that... that, that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Was that stupid? No, no, no. no, no. And that's a big part
4: about his struggle with the record industry too is because this is a guy that kind of came in, built his own model where he owns the means of production. He does it himself or he leagues up with just the bits of the bigger distros and and labels that that he needs and then says, I don't need the rest of this, you know? Yeah. And that... Is a model that's kind of coming back around now sure. in terms of independent labels doing well, in terms of um, individual artists more owning the means of production, in terms of being able to afford to press their own stuff yeah. more cheaply or release it digitally or make money touring. And I guess the the issue is there's maybe not millions and billions to be made as much anymore as there were in the old days, except for a very small elite group of people that are still largely controlled by the big record labels, but it's still interesting to see that evolution uh, and to see how he looks at the way things are now. It just sounds like he doesn't have a completely bad uh, outlook on it, but it also doesn't Definitely. sound like he's a, a huge fan of the current uh, digital, you know, artist-driven
3: model. Right, yeah, there, there are a ton of questions that we didn't get to, and we wanted to make sure we got to the things that were... Uh, more in the in the realm of cover-ups, the things that would be helpful uh, to you and your fellow listeners. But we left the interview with with several questions still there. Oh I, my god! I wanted to take time to say, oh, what do you think of this specific artist? What do you think of this person?
2: I wanted to ask him honestly about Kanye and yeah. his recent SNL. Uh, Appearance. There's this whole. Yeah, he gave this whole speech at the end after Mm. the the show stopped being live. Yeah, performance. Um, Well, it was it was the third performance. Ah, like at the end where you know everybody comes out on stage and Mm -hmm. everything. Kind of did another song and they had to cut it off because it was like one o two or something. It ends at one Mm o'clock in the morning, and then he gave just a really long speech. Anyway, if you haven't watched that yet, you can find it online. There's some interesting stuff in there that I think we should probably explore, having to Mm -hmm. do with accusations about Democrats setting up the black community to fail.
3: Right. Yes, I do remember that part. You can see the speech on YouTube, but it might be in a bootleg version. I think SNL cut it for their West Coast.
2: Chris Rock actually filmed a lot of it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. So let us know what you think about cover-ups in the music industry, about the ways in which the U.S. government or other governments may – persecute musicians or entertainers you know how do how do governments navigate or negotiate with uh cultural power centers yeah you know and we want to hear your thoughts we also want to give you a brief brief spoiler Uh, we are going to have some more uh, music industry episodes along the way you might be surprised by who writes your favorite pop song Ooh, that's a, that's all we got for that's now. a
2: good spoiler <laughs> should we just go ahead right now while we have a chance and just call out the culture kings like officially what do you mean and just say we we heard it we heard what you said that's all
4: oh yeah I'm having fun with that
2: we heard what you said <laughs>
4: <laughs> and this aggression will not stand
2: no no it will not Oh no, yeah, uh, but we love you guys, and you know yeah. we look forward to uh, putting out the episode that we yeah. just did together. Yeah, Matt loves you.
3: Yeah, uh, <laughs> <so, laughs> <laughs> I'm playing. So yeah, Jaquis Edgar, that's their names. Uh, thanks so much for the thanks so much for the shout out. Thanks for the call out. Great to be on the air, and uh, we'll be talking with you soon. In the meantime, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Find us on Here's Where It Gets Crazy. You can call us directly. We are 1 833
2: STDWYTK. See, you can put the hype on the STD, it's always gross, and I'm sorry <laughs> we do that. And uh, if you don't want to do any of those things, go ahead and write us in good old fashioned email. We are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com.